Hello and welcome to WordPress Marketing Podcast, the podcast which teaches you how to reach the top of the WordPress business ladder from those who have already climbed it. I'm Joe Lobo, and today I'm joined by software consultant, blogger, and WordPress freelance expert, Andy Adams. He explained to me how to win customers when you're starting out, how to charge the correct rates so you're not missing out on money, and how to promote yourself, among many other things. And here I am with Andy Adams, a software consultant. Andy, uh, thank you for joining me. How are you? Very good. Thanks for having me. So uh, as we were discussing before, um, it's uh, I think it's eight or nine o'clock in the morning, your time, as opposed to five, my time in the evening. So you were a bit of an early riser. Yeah, I try to, when I can, get started uh, as early as possible, just uh, get my, my routine started in the morning. How is your routine out of interest? Do you start early at about six or seven in the morning and, and work late into the night? What are, what are the days, what are the hours like usually? No, I, I don't go late into the night. I do start early. Uh, I, I have a family and I try to keep a kind of a normal working schedule, even though I have the possibility of being flexible with it. Really nine to five, eight to five is good for the family, for the kids and keeping everything uh, routinely for them. Does it does it get more difficult as you have a family to kind of balance that with with your work life? Um, you know, I've had a family most of my work life, so I, I've kind of always had to have that stability. Um, it, so you know, if you get your priorities straight, then you you schedule your work around the family, and uh, so that's how I've always done it. And I kind of I always have my wife uh, to push back on me if I ever start booking overbooking or things like that it it will never last for more than a couple of weeks so you said you're, you're talking about your business um could you talk a bit about what your business is and 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 exactly how you started it sure yeah um, i started my career as a typical web developer working for a few different companies and then i branched out on my own and started a freelancing consulting business that uh, I, I truthfully didn't have a lot of clue what I was doing in the beginning, and I let it grow organically. I kind of took whatever project came along until I figured out what exactly was the best thing for me to be focusing on. Um, so I do two branches of things. I do custom uh, WordPress development and maintenance uh, for specifically for content marketing teams within tech companies. And then on, I also do just kind of general web custom software for random businesses that you've probably never heard of, things like medical companies, uh, mining companies, little 50-person or so businesses that uh, need custom software built that they can't buy something off the shelf. So what, what kind of made you decide to narrow down to these fields for your business? If I were honest, it was, like I had mentioned, somewhat organic. I, I learned a lot about marketing and content marketing uh, just because it was interesting and it applied to some of my earlier jobs when I was working for other companies. So I learned a lot about SEO, writing, inbound marketing. So it was kind of a natural thing for me to apply my development skills to that area. So that's how I ended up in, uh, focusing on that. And then the, the custom software side was simply born out of my joy working with Ruby on Rails. And I guess you could say I, I use that side of the business to kind of keep myself technically sharp 
because on the WordPress side of things, WordPress is stable and well-known, so I don't have to... It's not quite as cutting edge, I guess you could say. So I use the other side to keep honed in on doing uh, new things with uh, technology. Something I always find interesting when, when I speak to someone like yourself who started their own business and has become successful is always, is that first customer? Do, do you remember getting your first customer and how did it come about exactly? Yeah, absolutely. The very first customer that I had was probably like many people. It was a acquaintance friend who ran a software business. He heard that I was considering the option of going independent. I wasn't thrilled with my job at the time. And he pitched me on expanding his product. Uh, he had a product in the Joomla space and he wanted to move it into the WordPress space. So that was, it was kind of like an easy sell, you know, and it was the first thing that I took to make the leap into being independent. From that point forward, all of my first customers were through applying to jobs that were posted on online job boards, uh, places like Authentic Jobs, where people would post freelance projects. And I found that I was, by focusing on giving a personal response to job postings, I was able to land a lot of early clients that then eventually snowballed into uh, some of the projects that I have today. When you say personal, what do you mean exactly? Like, how did you construct sponsors to any sort of adverts on these boards? Yeah. The, so when you're replying to a job posting, you kind of have to get into the mind of the person who's posting it. And if maybe people have never posted a job before, but whether it's a freelance job or whether it's a full-time job, people will tell you that you get 95% garbage responses, basically automated systems, bots, basically, that are sending out resumes, people who are totally not qualified for the job. So by simply not sending out a generic email by by showing that you've read a job post by understanding the project and linking it to work that you've done you're already in the top five percent and you have a great chance of landing the job at that point and it's funny because even really knowledgeable qualified uh, people will still kind of do the like just i'm just going to send my resume and a generic uh, description of my skills and hope that i hope that i land jobs and if you just put a little more effort into it and think about it personally give it some personality you can land a much higher percentage i would say at at the time right when i started i was getting 50% of the jobs that i applied to so if i was to say for example i wanted to get into your field and i was to sit down and to was to construct a response what would be your key tips for me to take away from that? First of all, read a few tips. First, read the job posting and understand the business that's behind it. Do some research on them. Make sure that you like them, that you know what their field is, and that you can identify what that they are going to value. So, you know, for example, if you have a a job posting from an agency who's looking to outsource some of their work to a freelancer, you need to go to that agency's website. You need to understand the type of work that you're doing. See if there's any projects that are related close to something that you've done before and then reference those in your email, uh, in your application, I should say, whether email or through a form or something like that. And then the other big tip would be if you have some personality, don't be afraid to show it in in your responses. Uh, a lot of applications to jobs are very generic. They want to just list out skills. 
crack a joke or make a personal connection. You know, like if, if the job is based in the same area as you make connection that way, say, Oh, have you ever been to such and such place or something like that? Make it personal so they, they know that they, they can make that connection to you. Like, Oh, this is the guy who was funny or who isn't just a bot replying to me. Um, so if you do those two things, you're already well ahead of the game, uh, in, in landing a job. So obviously that one of the problems when you start out is that you don't have that reputation yet as you don't have that body of work behind you that you can show to people to prove that you're up to the job. So how did you manage to win over the first few clients without anything to show them in that sense? Sure. Well, so if you truly have a gap in your knowledge, then it might be worth spending some time doing a project on your own to fill that knowledge. So I did I did a several Rails projects for my own little pet projects before I started pitching it to clients. But assuming that you have some knowledge, but you just don't have anything really to show about it, I think that honesty is the best policy. You just you can be upfront about that. You can say, look, I've never done, I've never used this particular plugin or I've never done this particular type of project. However, I'm really interested in it. And here's why I'll succeed regardless of me not knowing right off the bat. Of course, you're going, you might not win that project compared to somebody who's already an expert in that field, but but you definitely increase your odds by just being upfront because people can see through BS. It's going to come out eventually, right? Like you, you, find, you start talking about the project, say they do respond to you and you start talking about the project, it's going to come out that you don't actually have experience with it unless if you're just lying. Just be upfront with it and answer that objection honestly. So when you when you were dealing with these clients, obviously the question comes up about money. As ever with any new business you go into, it can be difficult to understand exactly how much you should be charging because maybe you're undercharging, maybe you're overcharging, maybe you're charging the right amount. I mean, it's, it's very hard to know. So how did you sort of work out what was the optimum market rate for you to be charging to your clients? That is a great question. And that's really the biggest challenge that any consultant, any freelancer has, because it's a weird, we're in a weird point in the industry, in the tech industry, where it's really just a wild west. And you could ask one programmer, what's his rate? And it's 15 bucks an hour. And you ask another program, what's his programmer, what's his rate? And it's $50,000 a week or something like that. There's such a huge range. And it's funny, the gap in knowledge between the two may not even be that big. So it's, so determining the right rate can really make or break your business. And the quicker you get to the proper rate, uh, the better. But the, the first thing is you've got to become comfortable talking about rates. You've got to be willing to talk about budget early on with clients. Some of the worst projects that I've had was, were when I, I would spend like a week going back and forth with the client only to find out that at the end, their budget was about 10% of what it needed to be. So there's, there's various ways to, to talk about it, but, but really in your mind, first of all, Decide that you're going to talk about money, however uncomfortable it is, as early as possible. And if you're not, if you don't know how to do that, Jason Freed of uh, Basecamp or 37 Signals had a technique where when he was doing client work where he would he would ask, you know, okay, so what's your budget for the project? And the client might hem and haw and say, oh, I don't know, I don't really have a budget. So he would just come out and say, oh, okay, so... You don't have a budget, so does $100,000 work for you? So just throw out numbers and see what see what reactions are. Oh no, 100,000 isn't it isn't, but you know, and then then he would say, "Oh, how about 20,000?" And they say, "Okay, well, yeah, I think we could work in that range." And that way you get the information out. So, step 1, get comfortable with talking about money 
ask frankly because everyone has a budget if you're going to have to figure it out eventually um let's see step two would be to raise your rates really frequently. Um, I would say at least once a year, but maybe more like once a quarter. You should always be pushing the upper limits of your rates beyond what you think is reasonable. Because like I had mentioned, uh, there are programmers out there who are consultants who are charging $50,000 a week or more. There are agencies who are charging, you know, several hundred dollars an hour for their programmers time. And the difference between them and you probably isn't as big as you think it is. So you really need to try to find the ceiling for your line of work. And the way that I recommend doing that is I call it the rate ratchet. If you're a little bit, if you're unsure of yourself, it's good to, uh, to step it up this way. You fill up your schedule at a rate that you're comfortable with. So let's say it's 50 bucks an hour and you give you get yourself 30 to 40 hours of work consistently at that rate and then ratchet it up significantly so the next project that comes in bid it at double or triple what your last rate was and carefully examine the response that you get to that doubling or tripling and what you'll find is a lot of times people will just say oh yeah sure okay then they'll sign you on on that new rate and there you go you've got your new rate set and sometimes you'll get people who are almost they almost buy but they say well we can't quite do that much at least now you have a new you have a new signal that oh wow i was undercharging previously and now i have my new rate going forward so if you do those two things if you talk frankly about money and if you uh, if you ratchet your rate up when when you are fully booked, I think you'll you'll gr- you'll hit your maximum pretty quickly. Did you did you have cases where you had to negotiate the fee throughout bidding process? Essentially, there have been, but to be honest, a shocking number of times when I raised my rates to what I thought were ridiculous numbers, there wasn't even hesitation. Uh, so I'd say eighty percent of the time there's no hesitation. Ten percent of the time there's a no way I can't afford that. And then the other 10% of the time, there is negotiation. So negotiation is a, is a broad subject too. But, uh, when it comes to negotiating like projects and rates, it's probably better to not lower your rate, but try to reframe projects to fit the budget. So if their budget isn't quite there, you say, oh, okay, well, maybe can we cut this thing? Or can we extend this project over a long period of time so maybe you can pay it better, uh, pay it easier? Yeah, negotiation. Sometimes you just have to lower a little bit if you're if you really if they call your bluff, I guess. If you don't if you don't actually want to charge that much. I mean, to be completely honest, I speak to a lot of consultants and freelancers who write who write me asking for help and most of them would benefit from just charging more. And I don't think they're going to hit any friction whatsoever. So you, so you as a policy, do you review your pricing over a regular period? I think you said every three months and then, and then raise it accordingly. Is that something you'd recommend to people starting out? Yes. I, you know, I have not done it with regularity. Um, I wish that I had. Uh, my, my rates have been sort of a step function. So I have an epiphany. I realize that I've been undercharging and then I suddenly jump up a whole bunch because I just decide that that's what I'm going to do or I'm going to go get a full time job. Uh, but I really wish I would have been more methodical about it. A consultant friend of mine called it uh, scheduled crises. So after a vacation or maybe every three months, he'll just sit back and question everything that he's doing and, and question if he's charging enough. So I, I think you should make it, maybe put it, put it on your calendar every quarter review if you're charging enough and see if you can't raise your rates by a significant amount. 
give it a shot. Give it a shot on the next project and let me know how it Did goes. Did you ever look at anyone else in your field and wonder or try and find out exactly how much they're charging to see, to get a feel of if you were sort of underselling yourself at all? Oh, yes, absolutely. In fact, one of the greatest uh, investments that I've had in my business was simply reading the right people, reading the right types of consultants, because the, the rates that you're reading will affect your perception of the market. So if you're going on Upwork and looking and seeing that there are developers charging 12 bucks an hour, you're going to think that that's, that's like roughly where the market lies. But if you're reading consultants who are in a position that you want to be in eventually, uh, then that can totally change your perspective. And that really, if I hadn't read certain people, there, there are people maybe you haven't heard of, but Brennan Dunn and Patrick McKenzie and Thomas Patachik, they're all gotten to a really good place as consultants. So if you look at them and say, okay, they're human and they were charging somewhere between twenty and $50,000 a week for their services. It's hard to process at first. It seems impossible. But by reading those people, it, it makes it achievable versus reading that, you know, versus comparing yourself to people on crowded marketplaces. When you were first searching for customers, I know you mentioned before some of the websites that you were using. I mean, nowadays, in your experience, what would you recommend as best places to search for potential work uh, for up and coming software consultants? The rule of thumb is that you want to go places where you know people are willing to spend money, right? So you don't want to go to, let's say, very crowded marketplaces with cheap developers like Upward. Um, so how do you know someone wants to spend money? Well, one, one tip would, one, one clue would be if they had to pay to post their job, um, then they probably are willing to pay to get the project done. So I still recommend premium jobs job boards like authentic jobs like uh, occasionally there's jobs on we work remotely there are premium marketplaces like worksome and toptal that they cater to not to lower end projects they cater to high end freelancers and projects that have budgets so i would so for someone who's getting started and doesn't have a lot of connections um, that that's where i would start is applying to jobs on places where you know people are spending money to be on those places. And uh, that that's how that's how I got started. That's how a lot of people get started. Don't go to low budget marketplaces, you're going to get caught into a cycle that will eventually lead you to just go back to taking a full time job. Oh, really? Why, why is that? Is it are they failed projects? Or what, what's, what are the issues there? A lot of people who are looking to hire on those marketplaces are not concerned with the quality of their projects. There are the occasional gems that come through and that, that want a project well done. But if you're a consultant looking to build a name for yourself and, and thinking of the long term, you want projects that you can be proud of. In order to do a good job on a project, it has to have enough budget for you to be able to spend some time on it and do it well. So it's just the competition created on those makes it so hard to establish yourself as a high quality option. Because the problem is that on a lot of those marketplaces, uh, the, the person posting the job will not exactly know what they want. And so they'll, they might post a vague description of a project and you might look at it. I just had this happen recently on even on a high end uh, platform. This happens from time to time. You look at it and you say, well, that's a huge project. That, that, that could be a, a six-month project, but the, the description of the project is so vague that people come in and bid it for $1,000, $2,000, because like in, in some interpretation, it might be a really simple project, but it, it really isn't. 
So you're competing with low budget options and you want to be a high budget option. You want to do good work. You want to build a name for yourself. So that's why I would recommend staying off of those places where they're competing on price. So what do you look for when you see a job? What are what are the warning signs that make you think, as you just said, wait, I should definitely stay clear of this one. It's only going to lead to trouble and nothing else. If you do this long enough, you'll develop a, a sixth sense of projects that are, are not so good. But so first of all, if a client won't talk to you about budget, uh, about price, then they probably don't have a great budget or more importantly, they don't trust you. You know, they, they think that you're going to try to extort them. And at that point, you, you if you can't get their trust to, to get numbers from them, then you're going to have a big problem working with them going forward. Other things to worry about are there's a lot of projects where the client will say, I just need a WordPress developer to make this modification to such and such plugin. They basically describe the work to you and like, here's what you're going to do specifically, technically, uh, here's what you're going to do. And when the client is talking to you like that, that shows that they probably think they know a lot more than they actually do. Because if they could act, if they actually knew, they would just do it themselves. But they also don't trust that you have the expertise to do it, or they're trying to control costs in some way. So they're, they don't want you to get all like creative and stuff and, and do things your way. They just want you to sit down and do the work. Those types of projects, they can be life support for you. If, if you like, if you need a project they you know, and just need to knock something out to make some money, that can be good. But you really, you can't build your business on implementing verbatim people's instructions. You have to establish yourself as an expert. You have to have clients who trust you to do the right thing, even if it's not what they think it is. So if a client's not listening to your advice because they think that they know better, it's not your specialty, then they probably just see you as an implementer. You're not a partner in their business and they don't value you. So either you sold yourself short or they're just the wrong type of client for you. If we kind of went through a checklist, what would you say are the things that need to be ticked that let you realize that this is a job that is definitely worth applying for and working on? Sure. Well, like as I had mentioned, that there's a reasonable chance that they have a budget. So if you're applying in the right, if you're looking in the right places, you'll probably find projects with budgets. You can filter out clients who you can look at certain businesses and say they'll just never have the budget for a project like mine. I remember one time I had a someone contact me. They were trying to start up a dog walking business and they wanted a website. A dog walking startup doesn't have a huge budget for a website. So I, you, you have to filter those types of projects out. So this th- this kind of gets into what type of work you're looking to do. If you just don't want to deal with marketing and sales side of things, then you can find a lot of work as a consultant doing subcontracting work. And so then the the parameters for that are a little bit different. You might look for an agency doing interesting work and things like that. But if you want to grow uh, outside of just doing subcontracting, if you want to have your own clients, you have to find clients who have a pressing need that they're willing to pay to solve and to trust you as an expert to solve that problem. So I know this is kind of vague. I'm not really giving a checklist, but it, it, it depends on the type of work that you're looking to do. So for my clients, I look for a specific type of company, uh, a company that has a content marketing department. They have a blog. They're not big enough to have hired someone for that blog to do development on that blog. You have to build this checklist of your ideal customer for yourself, and it kind of varies depending on what, what target market you're looking at. So we've discussed when you first started out how you managed to get customers and that involved a lot of 
legwork on your part of applying and offering your rate and discussing the project. Do you find now that you've become successful, do you still need to apply for jobs or do you have a lot of work coming your way organically? I have not applied for a job for quite some time and referrals have supplied me, referrals and, and some inbound uh, clients from my writing have really kept my pipeline full. And referrals are really, if you ask any consultant who's been around for a while, they're really the lifeblood of every business. Not just consulting, any business you're running is going to gain a lot from getting good referrals. At this point in my career, yeah, it, it's pretty much all organically from referrals, uh, which are the best types of clients to start with. How do these referrals work? Is it simply word of mouth? Do you get people getting in touch with you saying they know so-and-so and you did a great job with them? Or is it more that you advertise these referrals? It's mostly word of mouth. It's all. It's also people changing jobs and going to a new company, which could also use uh, my services. But there's, there's a fair bit of nurturing, I guess you could call it, of referrals that I try to do. I, I don't want it to sound manipulative or anything like that. Basically, it boils down to doing a good job communicating well with your existing clients and being a good person to them, looking out for them, which strangely enough, many, many businesses don't do those things with existing clients. I think that if you do a good job, actually finish your work and are nice, you're not, you are already in the top 50% of businesses worldwide because so many people are short-sighted and not, not thinking about the next contract or the, the future. So, there's a few things that I do on every project. First of all, I factor in whether or not they are likely to be connected, whether they're likely to give referrals. Sometimes you'll meet a business and you can tell that they're just not connected. They're not going to be talking to other potential clients. And so this will kind of be the dead end uh, for you. Do you need to ask them to give referrals at all? Or does that happen organically as well? I do ask. I, I, most of the time I don't need to, but I do follow up uh, on a regular basis with old clients just to check in, see how they're doing, make sure they're still happy with their work. Uh, and then really what you want to do, I think, is just stay in their mind so that if a conversation ever does come up, them and another client, that they'll remember that you're still there. It's probably a good thing to do with each customer you work with to, in a few months' time, just check in with them and ask, by the way, if you know anyone who needs work that I do, just send them an email. Sure. Yeah. I mean, and you don't, if you feel like that's too needy sounding, uh, then you could just ping them, just see how they're doing and make sure they're happy with their work. They know, everyone knows why you're contacting that you're, you want to stay in the loop, but just keep yourself in their mind. I think that that's more important than asking. You don't always have to be asking for something. You could just, you could just be checking in and making sure that they're happy. As you mentioned, Andy, you're an, you're an avid blogger and uh, I know you've, you've blogged a lot about the life as a freelancer and I actually encourage anyone who's interested to check out your blog, andyadams.org. Did you start this out with the intention of getting more clients or was this something on the side that was just a passion of yours? That's It's funny because it was totally a passion project. However, I've ended up getting a handful of my best clients simply by being helpful, uh, by sharing. But I get clients, I've gotten clients on the articles that I least expected to generate interest. Which ones are those? Sorry, just for example, any come to mind? Sure. Um, I remember getting clients for when I was discussing WordPress uh, developer rates and why why they were kind of depressed. There's an article, I think it's called the, the WordPress talent shortage is a pricing problem. And discussing that 
it got a decent amount of interest from the developer community. But after that, I started getting people just saying, hey, you seem like a helpful person. I, I have WordPress problems. Can you help me solve them? So there's something to be said about like not everything has to be a calculated ask, a calculated marketing tactic. But if you just try to be helpful, it, it often works out better than you could have ever done calculating it all out. How did you publicize your blog? Primarily by being involved in a few WordPress communities, talking to people in the industry and just sheer luck sometimes. Uh, you know, ending up on certain aggregators like Hacker News, uh, a combination of all that. There's also been a few times where I've reached out to people after I wrote an article because I knew that they were interested in the subject and asked them if they would be willing to share it, things like that, get the word out. Were there any other marketing avenues that you tried out that worked really well for you as well besides besides the blogging? I, I've built most of my business on the three things that we've talked about to this point, um, applying to job postings, referrals, and inbound marketing. So beyond those three, I've not, no, I don't really have much else. Sure. So that was, that was related to my writing, um, both on my personal blog and I've done some writing for CSS tricks. So, uh, which is an industry, uh, website newsletter and basically just sharing my expertise based on projects that I'm working on, business lessons that I've learned, things like that. You know, for example, I've gotten some uh, work off of articles I've written about WordPress performance and just a how-to article on how to speed up your website that generates interest from people who are having performance problems. Again, it, it, it's really boiled down to being helpful and not trying too hard, not being too too salesy, but just giving people what they need in the moment. And did you find that when people get in touch, they make specific references to articles from CSS Tricks, for example? Oh, absolutely. The, and I always make a point to ask where people found me from. And yes, it's often from an individual article. Did you have any sort of methods or did you try anything out to promote yourself which did not work? Yes, I did a fair bit of cold calling, actually, uh, for a for a business idea that I had. It was tangentially related to my consulting. But cold calling and cold emailing didn't work well for me. I know that there's a lot of people it does work well for, but I think you have to kind of acknowledge where you are as a business. So it's just me here. I don't have a team. So... I have to do the work and do the sales work. And I didn't have the time to invest in the amount, the volume of cold contacting that I think you need to do to be successful. And I'm also, I had to come to terms with the fact that I'm just kind of a timid person. I, I don't like contacting people out of the blue. And so it was really emotionally draining for me. And I just, uh, I, I gave it up after I felt like it was a good try, but just couldn't maintain it. So for anyone starting out, I think, uh, you, would you say the best way is just to blog and just to offer your opinions and your thoughts and then you'll start developing a following of sorts? I think that that's something you should spend a little bit of time on in the beginning, but you should really be going directly after the potential jobs that you want to have. So whether that be on job boards, like we've been discussing, uh, pe people posting stuff that you can apply to, or if it be finding really specific customers and talking to them, uh, contacting them directly to see it, if they have projects for you, that you need to be going, you need to basically validate whether or not your idea about uh, your business and what kind of projects you're working on is going to work long term. Uh, 
So the quickest way to do that is go directly after them. You can always do the writing will help you longer term, but it's very uh, spotty thing. It, it will happen once in a while. It's not a good way to build your business up front. Was there one particular investment you made to build a business that, that you're really proud of or that you think was that really helped you in particular? Yes, I, I think learning how to write well and communicate well was the most valuable skill I could have learned. Because when you start out, especially developers, but anyone with a hard technical skill, they, they want to think that that technical skill, that your, your ability to program or your ability to be a good ad words uh, manager, whatever it is, you, you want to think that that's going to convince your clients, but that's not what matters 95% of the time. Uh, your ability to communicate your, your soft skills, your ability to sell is going to dictate the success of your business. And I spent a lot of time reading consultants that I enjoyed, reading advertisements that I thought were done well, reading websites and, and learning how to communicate clearly, really taking the time to think about how what I was writing. That paid dividends more than any other factor in growing my business is learning the soft skills, learning how to communicate well, especially in written form. And is that something that people value when you're making your pitch, that, that ability to come across as, well, I guess, as a human? Oh, absolutely. I mean, they don't realize what's going on. They just know that this email stood out from all the rest of them. They know that this guy understands my problem because he's speaking to me directly and he's made, actually read my job post. Those types of things make or break uh, a sales pitch. So absolutely, yes, it makes a big difference to the people who you're talking to, that you care about them, that you are taking the time to write a personal message. Absolutely. And one final question from me, Andy. Let's go to the other end of the scale, so to speak. Um, were there any major mistakes you made through the journey of growing a business that you wish you could go back and take that away, that people who are trying to grow theirs could avoid themselves? Yes, there are so many. But the one that I really felt could have been explained to me better was there's a big topic of niches and always wanting to, you want to be a specialist nowadays. You want, you don't want to be a generalist, especially in consulting. And that's absolutely true. But I learned a lot about niches as I tried them out, basically. So just because you're, you're doing something, everybody wants to be in a niche. Everyone wants to find specific customers. But just because you found somebody specific doesn't mean that that niche is going to work as a business. As an example, I started at one point, I specialized in doing WordPress performance work for e-commerce sites. And it turns out that that's actually a pretty hard niche to serve. It's, it's very specific, but it turned out that I couldn't identify my customers. So I, I knew like where I knew an e-commerce site when I saw one, but I didn't know if they were having performance problems. So the first step in any, in identifying a niche is making sure that you actually know who your customers are, like that you can go out and find them by name. Um, if you don't know who they are, then you're just hoping you're going to have to hope that they somehow find you uh, organically. Another thing that I didn't realize about niches is that you can have a really specific group of people, but if they don't have a common pain point at the top of their mind that they're willing to pay to fix, then they aren't going to be a good business either. So as an example there, I started a little software business that I was targeting uh, at agencies who were maintaining WordPress sites. And I thought that they had this particular problem, but, and I had them really narrowed down and I knew who they were. But when I went and took the problem to them, they were, they were like, yeah, that's, that's not that big of a deal. We, we don't really care. And they weren't willing to pay to fix it. So I guess the overarching lesson that I learned was that specialization is great, 
but you need to really give some thought to whether this, the niche that you're focusing on actually has the ability to grow a business in because not all of them do. Thank you very much for that, Andy. And I know you're a busy man, so I know you've got to go. And if people want to check you out, they can check out your website at uh, certainly.software. And I know you blog at uh, andyadams.org as well. And of course, your articles on CSS tricks. So um, Andy, thank you for your time and thank you for your insight. Thank you very much. Thank you to my guest, Andy Adams. Don't forget, if you want to learn more from the leading experts in WordPress, how you can make your business a success, hit the subscribe button now. I'm Joe Lobo, and I'll see you next time.